listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. I gotta tell you something, people. My guest today is, is you know, well, I met him years ago he, in Burbank, but he, I saw him play when he was with Yes in, in the Spectrum, probably in 1980, and he's also, he was one of the founders of Bubbles. He is one of the founders of Asia, all wonderful bands, and I just listened to his album, his newest album, with the Downs Braid Association, which it's just great. And my guest is Jeff Downs. How you doing, Jeff? How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. It's funny. I, 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 said, I knew you back then. It was such a long time ago. I see the Fantasia Pool Hall and Burbank Barn Grill and all those old haunts that Burbank Barn Grill's gone. It's just great to see you now. And uh, it's, I, I know you're back in England. Yeah, back in Wales, actually. So so what, what made you decide to leave L.A.? I mean... Everyone's leaving L.A. anyway, <laughs> so it's, everyone's tired of it. What made you decide to leave? Uh, I think that um, it wasn't really my scene, you know, particularly. I think that uh, I've always been very much uh, uh, a British person that, uh, you know, I get my inspiration for being on these shores. I mean, I love America. I love, uh, I love touring America. We've had some fantastic moments over there. So, um, yeah, I think... Uh, you know, you, you've got to move around. You, you, you get you stick in a place that you feel comfortable with. Now, tell me about the new album, the Downs Braid Association, which I believe he's based in LA. And I know technology has changed, so you could record across the sea. Uh, but how did how did you guys collaborate in the very beginning? Because this is your, I believe, your fourth project with him. Well, I think we first met. Uh, we, we we did a Buggles. Uh, Reformation gig back in 2010. Trev was, um, you know, introduced us, and, and Chris said, "I was always a big Buggles fan. I'd love to work with you one day." And so it really, it, it came out of that really. And I think that, um, you know, working with Chris has been a real revelation, you know, for me because uh, he was such a big Buggles fan, and uh, you know, it was his kind of thing. Wanted to work with us. That was great. Okay, so so Jeff, how how did you start the, the Downs Braid Association? Well, it was a thing we did. Um, I was explaining that um, we did a gig with the Buggles, um, our first real gig back in two thousand and ten, um, and Chris was working with Trevor on a band called The Producers, and. Um, uh, and I met him through that, and he, was, he told me at the time, he said, look, I'm a big Buggles fan. I'd love to do some writing with you sometime. Uh, and it just so happened that uh, he was moving, in the process of moving to Los Angeles, and I was uh, over in Los Angeles working on the Fly From Here album with Yas. And so um, Chris and I started to get together and started working on some material back in uh, early 2011, almost, uh, I'd say, 10 years to the day. And, um, you know, and since then, we've, we've, we've had this kind of remote relationship where I've sent him some ideas and he's worked on them, sent them back. So it's been, um, it's an interesting way of working. And I think that, you know, if you look at where situations are now with the, with the lockdowns and everything, it's been much more the normal way of, of people have been collaborating uh, making music together, so uh, we were kind of there in the early stages, I think. Now, how is it for an artist when you're used to working in a studio with the person you're working with? 
is it it's I know this is the way the course of action people are doing it now. They can record music everywhere. But is it do you feel more comfortable when you're in a studio with the person you're working with, or do you feel more comfortable when you're not with them and then you can just send them your own product? Well, I think there's there's two there's two schools of thought on that. I think that yeah, it was great in the in the old days because that was the only way you could do it was to be in, in one room with all the other guys and um, you know obviously some fantastic music came out of that environment and uh, certainly when you know when I, we did the bubble stuff and and, uh, and and yes and Asia and all of that kind of stuff it was very much a case of you know we were all in the same room and we worked on the stuff together and that you know that had its rewards I think because. You know, you had that instant rapport with somebody where you could change something, someone would make a suggestion, uh, and, and it was very much, you know, a very creative process. But I think, you know, as time has gone by, the sophistication of communication and uh, file sharing and all of that has, has opened, uh, you know, a lot of doors for people to work with maybe, you know, other people that you wouldn't have had the opportunity of working with. And so, you know, I think that... Um, you know, there's there's good there's good sides to both schools of thought, and, and I, I'd like to think that you know at some stage, you know, I can go back to working in a room with with someone and um, you know exchanging ideas on a very uh, you know personal level. But um, certainly for the time being, I think that because of this this whole pand- pandemic and uh, you know the way that everyone's been locked down for this last year or so, there hasn't really been any any opportunity for people to to work in close proximity together so it's it's you know it's the way that it is you just have to kind of work with work around what you've got now you you and you and uh you come from two different music worlds with the, the new band how did you guys how did you come with the sound you you've come up with because it's it's a very sound it's 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 a progressive sound sound but it's also has some upbeat how did you come up with that sound because as i said you know and i've read reviews of this album people are loving this album well i think it's an interesting combination i think from where i originally came from uh, you know i suppose a pop background although prior to that you know when i was at music college i was studying a lot of um, jazz rock and i was really into bands like you know Chick career and a late career sadly passed recently and um, uh, Herbie Hancock and people like that so those were the keyboard players that were really driving me at the time but I was also very much into Yes and you know the Canterbury bands like Caravan and sorry, Soft Machine so you know it, 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 it's a way of I suppose a way of making a living that, you, that I move more into the pop field and I think that Chris was, you know, in a similar way, he, you know, he was driven into that that zone in order to be able to be creative and make a living. So, you know, the fact that I moved into the progressive uh, scene very, very quickly after the Boggles, but obviously being into Yes, which is probably, you know, one of the greatest progressive rock bands of all time. You know, I was fortunate that that kind of gave me another career, I suppose. And so coming back and working with someone like Chris, we sort of met in the middle, I think. There was a, a combination of him working with all these uh, mainstream artists and me being more, uh, you know, on, on the progressive side. So it, it's a, I think it's an interesting fusion of, of two two areas of music that, um, 
you know, the Dales Brady Association is very much uh, shows that collaboration. Now, what is it like to work with someone? As you said, he's uh, Chris is a big fan of uh, Buggles. What is it to work with someone who admires your work? I mean, in one, it must be exhilarating because this person is a big fan of your work. But two, do you, do, do you think you ever got a little intimidated because you are Jeff Downs? is it's an album you know we're, we're, we're at a time where you know if you talk to someone young they don't even know what an album is they don't, they don't they've never experienced the joy you know i mean you would when you're you know you play with yes and you know yes always had the great album covers which was also your new album cover for house on him's the same artist what what was your thought process when you put the album together and made it you know track by track because we're in such a time where people just buy singles but you know us older people like listening to the whole album what what was your well, uh, yeah i think that was one of the things that drew to chris and i together because chris you know we're both big vinyl fans and we're, we're both big uh, fans of the album but, you know rather than it just being a collection of songs you know how we approached house and the hymns is much more uh, along the lines of it being an album you know so that you could actually uh you know take that away i mean the vinyl won't be released for another month or so but you know, we, we, we conceived it, I think, as an album so that it's not just somebody cherry-picking, uh, you know, tracks off, off it here, there, and, you know, saying, oh, whatever, you know, a nice couple of tracks on that album. Um, you know, we, we'd like people to get into the album as a whole, and I think that, you know, with this whole pandemic, people being at home a lot, you know, people uh, maybe listening to music, not, not just uh, downloading you know, one track from here, one track from there, you know, it gives people the perspective of being able to sit down and, and actually listen to a whole album. And I think that that's what was very much in, in our minds, that we wanted to uh, project that idea through that we, we were working on an album rather than it being uh, just a collection of songs. And I like that, you know, and I, I believe I saw you at the Greek with Yes and you guys played a whole album and... Um, and it's good. I mean, you sit there um, and you, you sit back and you're right, especially now during this pandemic. 
it's like I try to listen to an album every other day from beginning to yeah, end, right. not just tracks. Yeah, I think that it's, it's important. I think that's one of the things that, you know, really helps. You know, when I, when I got back into Yes 10 years ago, I think, you know, we went out and we started doing all these albums. And, you know, I think that it, it's, it's interesting when you, you, you listen to them, even if it's just from a, a musicology standpoint, that you, you get an idea of how these albums were put together. You know, and maybe, you know, those tracks that people didn't really initially like or didn't, you know, that, that they wouldn't particularly put any significance to it. When you when you perform an album as a whole or you listen to an album as a whole, you know, you realise that every every track has a kind of, you know, a place in there, whether it be something that is instantly commercial or appealing. You know, sometimes sometimes the, the, the deeper cuts on albums are the ones that people, you know, really relate to, uh, when once that album is kind of permeated into their psyche. So yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big album idealist myself. I like to think that, you know, albums are for listening and, and for people to get immersed in the experience. Now, how did your whole career start? As I say, you've been, you're, you're iconic. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, people, you were in the first video on MTV. You were in Asia, which was such a huge band. And then, yes. How did, when did you know you wanted to play music? Well, I, I started pretty young. I think that, both my parents were musical. My, my dad was a church organist, and I used to go and turn the pages over for him when I was really young, and I was singing in choirs and things like that. So it was um, it was something that I, I was in my blood, I suppose. And um, and I, I, I even from a very quite an early age, I felt that you know music was very much an important part of me. And I, I, you know, as time went by, I wanted to make that more and more. Uh, something that, you know, if I could make a career out of doing something that I love doing, then, you know, I'll, I'll be very happy. And, uh, and and I still, today, I still regard it as a privilege that I've been able to, you know, continue and make music and, uh, and, and you know, not just make a living out of it, but also, you know, working with all these great people that I've managed to, uh, to meet over the years. And, you know, when you think about these iconic musicians like Chris Squire and, uh, and Greg Lake and you know, John Wett and uh, people that I've written with closely. Um, it's been, you know, it's been a great thing to be able to do. And so, you know, I, I always felt that there was something that, you know, it was a, a something of a calling that, you know, if I could get that opportunity, I would, I would definitely do it. Now, how did Buggles come about? Because, you know, I know you said you were in music school. When did you meet Trevor? How did it whole and it come about? Well, when, when I finished uh, music college and I moved to London, which was probably the only place you could be if you were really trying to make, you know, make a living in the, in the music scene. Because, the, you know, every, everything in London was centered around London, all the record labels, uh, you know, all the session work and all that kind of thing was in London. So... So I moved there and I, I, I was answering advertisements in, for Musicians Wanted in the, uh, the now defunct Melody Maker, which was the, like the sort of musician's bible at the time. And um, and I answered an ad for a chart act that wanted a keyboard player. 
uh, and it just so happened that Trevor was the guy putting the band together, and um, and he, he obviously liked what I was doing and gave me the job, and so we, we started backing this disco singer at the time, a disco singer called Tina Charles, and we started to get more working together, and, and we, you know, I was doing quite a bit of session work, and so was he, and so we'd give each other sessions and that kind of thing, and then we, we sort of got thrown together, and, and I think that we, we, we had felt we had something that we could achieve together, and, um, and so the Buggles really stemmed out of that, and, and uh, when we started writing together and started putting these songs together, it was it was obvious that we you know we had something, but whether what what it was we didn't know at the time, obviously. Now, you record video killed the radio star and and back then you know videos they weren't huge i mean i know a lot of people in england had them in america we didn't have a lot of uh music videos what made you decide to make that video and and it has it had a different look i mean where did that all come from did that come from you and trevor collaborating for that whole the video and the scene or did you have a director do that well no i think we um at that time, and that's going back to when, when it was first released, was uh, towards the end of 1979. I think that, you know, at that time, video was starting to become something that people were very interested in, as the, particularly the record labels as a promotional tool, because I think that it was, a, it was a way of putting things around the world to all the different record labels to show what act you know, what an act was doing, and I think that it started to get very artistic and creative, and I think the Rebel Company, when we, when we delivered the final masters of Video Kill, the Radio Star, uh, and, and the other singles, um, they felt that, you know, it justified spending quite a lot of money on, on getting, a, you know, one of these budding directors in to do a creative video for us. So it was all, it was literally all done in a day, and I think, you know, the actual shooting of it, but the, the, the director who went on and did a lot of stuff with Duran Duran and Elton John and uh, he directed the Highlander films, a guy called Russell Mulcahy, he, um, he, uh, he, he really pushed the boat out on it, I think, because he spent, I think he spent a week editing it and, um, and came up with this sort of wacky uh, presentation for us. And we were very thrilled with it because... You know, to have a video like that, we, we didn't have a band. We we were just two guys uh, who were out there doing these TV shows and stuff like that. And, and to be able to have this video, it was fairly groundbreaking at the time. Um, it was something that, you know, I think it was a, a very valuable promotional tool for not just the record label, but for us as well. Well, it's amazing, you know, it's, and I'm sure when you made the video, you never thought that, you know, it would be so many people asked that trivia question, you know, because, you know, who was with his first video on MTV, and it really amazes me, I mean. Yeah, it's even, it's even a question on Trivial Pursuit, you know, which I think once you made it into Trivial Pursuit, you know, you're sort of, uh, you're etched in stone, really. <laughs> now, now, how did you know? And I, I saw you in, uh, with Yes in Philly. Um, it was in the round, I believe, at the Spectrum. How did you transition? What was the transition from Buggles to Yes? Because both you and Trevor went. Well, I think it was um, it, it was a bit more of a natural process than maybe some might believe. I, I think it, you know the, the planets aligned. Chris 
and Steve and Alan had just finished um, some recordings in, in Paris with the other two guys, with uh, John Anderson, Rick Wakeman, uh, and, and it didn't really work out, I don't think. I think Roy Thomas Baker was producing. Um, John and, and uh, Rick uh, left, and so the other three guys were left holding the, the baby. And they happened to be managed by the same management company as we managed in the Bogles, uh, Trevor and myself. And, and we got to meet them in the offices and got talking to them. And uh, Chris had heard the album and thought it was a great album, uh, the Age of Plastic album. And so he said, you know, if you guys have got any material you'd like to push our way, feel free and we'll, um, you know, we'll have a look at it. So Trevor and I had some songs that we thought might be, you know, more suited to Yes than was maybe suited to the Bungles. And so we got in a rehearsal room with them and started playing around with these ideas. And, you know, eventually they said, well, you know, you're a singer, you're a keyboard player. Um, why don't we why don't we do a Yes album? You know, and that was it, really. It was, it, it came out quite naturally. It wasn't anything that was forced or, or anything like that. But of course, you know, it, it created something of a, uh, you know, there were quite some heavy repercussions with the, you know, with the Yes fan base because they saw, saw these, uh, you know, these charlatan pop guys coming into their <laughs> revered band and, um, uh, you know, some kind of, kind of taking over what they, you know, they, 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 a lot of them didn't really want to see it without um, Anderson or, 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 or Wakeman. But, you know, having said that, I think that the album we came up with was, was very, very strong. And I think, you know, quite a lot of people were surprised that drama, when it came out, had, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of yes elements to it. But at the same time, it had this sort of modern age that I think Trevor and I brought to the equation. Uh, and I think that, in many ways, Now, what was it like when you started touring with them? Because all of a sudden you're playing, well, first of all, you're playing in the round. And I don't know, I mean, I've never played in the round. I don't know what it's like, if it feels different than playing on a regular stage. But all of a sudden you're playing these packed houses. I mean, that must have been a great feeling as a musician just to feel that energy. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, being a, a keyboard player, musician from the background that I'd had, you know, being with a band like Yes was really a total honor because... You know, if you were, you know, a working musician, to be in a band like that was really, you know, incredible um, appraisal of your, your 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 skills or whatever. You know, and I think that to be put on that stage with those guys who I'd really looked up to for, for you know quite a few years before that, um, uh, and then the same, you know, Trevor had the same kind of attitude that you know to put us on that stage with those guys of all those people, it was really, you know, I suppose it was a baptism of fire in some respects because uh, we'd gone from just being these two guys who were, you know, messing around in the studio to, you know, being on the stage with uh, some of the, you know, one of the greatest bands of the world and being with some of the greatest musicians in the world. So it was a, it was a fantastic um, feeling, for sure. And I remember the first, I think the Philadelphia gig was probably about six or seven gigs along, but we started at the Toronto Maple Leaf Gardens, which, again, that's not there anymore. And then I think the third show, we were at Madison Square Garden for three nights in New York. So you can imagine the, you know, the, this whole transition of being from 
you know, just a guy in the studio to, to being on that state of the Madison Square Garden for three nights, you know, was uh, was an incredible um, feeling. And uh, something that really stayed with me and from that point on, I think that's, that's something that I always wanted to do. And, um, you know, I think that Trevor and I both felt that, you know, being in a pop band's one thing, like the Bubbles, was, was, was only going to be, you know, was not going to be that long-lived. And, and to be able to get into band that had got such a heritage and, and, and such a future, you know, like, yes, was something that we couldn't really, um, you know, we couldn't really turn down. So, yes, broke up, and then you decide to form Asia, which, you know, when you look at back at it, Asia, you know, they, they call they call a lot of bands super groups. Asia was a super group. I mean, there is so much talent. I mean, you know, Steve Howe, John Wetton, uh, you, Carl Palmer. I mean, it was a super group. How how did you guys get each other on the same page and put that together? Well, I think it, it came about as a result of the fact that that, you know, the version of Yes had folded the year before. Um, Chris and Alan had gone off and did their own thing. Steve was really, you know, not, uh, not uh, in limbo, but he, he was looking for something else. And, and I think he got together with John Wetton again through the management company we were with and it was something that you know they started writing together and then I think Steve put me forward and said look you know uh, I've been working with Jeff and, and yes and, and I think he'd be a great addition to what we're doing and, uh, and by that time they contacted Carl and uh, to see if he'd you know, be interested in, in playing drums with them. Carl was not doing a great deal at that time because you know ELP had sort of wrapped up a couple of years before. So it was, it was a, a lot of um, elements, I think, that, that, that brought us all together. And I think by the time we, we got to that point where we were all in the room together, I think that we felt, you know, this is something that we can really work on and make into something special. And you know, it, wasn't, it wasn't the idea of, yeah, this is going to be a super group. I don't think that's something that really dawned on us at the time, because I think that it was all down to the fact that we wanted to work together. We had a good relationship. I particularly started to get into a, a very strong writing relationship with John Wetton, and so we, you know, we started coming up with these songs like "Only Time Will Tell" and "Wildest Dreams," "Soul Survivor," "Heat of the Moment." Um, those were the, the songs that we were coming up with, and I think that, you know, it was um, it was something that. It seemed to get stronger by the day. We were, we rehearsed a long time. It wasn't wasn't like you know this band was put together by some record executive and the manager who was all you know filled in the dots and said oh well, you, you should go with him, you should go with him. Uh, I think we found our own direction, and, and I think that's one of the things that made Asia uh, strong as it was because we you know we, we were all on the same you know we were on the same wavelength as it were. What was your relationship with John Wetton in writing? Did you do most of the music and he did the lyrics? How did you work it? Because, you know, you wrote, you guys wrote a majority of the work. What was your relationship? How did you formulate those great songs, like Heat of the Moment, Only Time Will Tell? Well, I think what happened was when we were rehearsing, the, you know, it was a case of people putting forward stuff. And, and I, I, I just developed this great rapport with John. I think that we started to think that, well, you know, we needed to get some substance behind what we had. I mean, you know, obviously 
Carl was not a major contributor writing-wise. Um, Steve had his own stuff that he was he was coming up with as well. So I think that the, the, the weight of the writing partnership really fell on John and I, and and, and so we, we really warmed to it. And, and I think that once we started working together, we felt that um, it was a very natural process. You know, we were very uh, in tune together. You know, we were we 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 liked the same kind of things. You know, and I think that. Uh, certainly, our backgrounds were very similar in terms of the fact that you know John had sung in choirs and stuff like that, and you know we were brought up in, on English church music, and so we had a lot of similar um, influences. And I think that we, um, you know, we we really hit it off, and you know even to you know up until when John sadly passed away uh, four years ago, we were still coming up with stuff even then and even through the whole of the Asian Reformation that we started in 2005, 2006, uh, we, we just had a very natural way of working that we literally just sit down at the piano and, you know, I'd give John some ideas. And, uh, he, he was mainly, mainly lyrical because I think that, you know, it's, it's very key for uh, a vocalist, particularly in a band, is to have a conviction and what he's singing about, you know, and I think John was very specific about that. That, uh, yeah, I did contribute quite a few lyrics here and there, like on Wildest Dreams, um, maybe more on, uh, you know, on the second album. But certainly, you know, I think that you know a vocalist who's a lead vocalist has got to really believe in what he's singing about. And I think that, you know, when you hear that first album, you know, you can hear commitment of, the, of, the, of John's lead vocal, you know, because he's, he's singing what he believes in, and it's all in his register. That was a thing that we were very concerned about as well, that, you know, we were, you know, he was, he was playing himself, you know, not, not, not someone else. And so I think that's how we crafted the songs, was, was around John's voice, around, you know, some of my arrangements and my keyboard playing and my parts and, and my harmonic movement and all that kind of thing. You know, you could analyze it uh, ad infinitum, but, you know, for us, it was very, very natural. When did you start writing songs? At what age? I mean, you know, you, you're, you're inclined to music when you're younger. When did you sit there and start writing music, and, and what did you draw from? Well, I think I, I, I used to just fiddle around. With, you know, we had the piano at home, and I used to fiddle around on that. And, you know, I, I started to get a taste of not just reading music, but actually coming up with stuff that was in my head, you know, and I think that uh, it was uh, it was very fortuitous because by the time, you know, I'd, I'd sort of left school, I did, um, you know, studied music at school and stuff like that, and I left, uh, I left school, and I was putting, you know, I had a little bit of time where I was doing some writing, and, and when I went for my uh, interview for the music college in Leeds, uh, I, I I played some of my own music. You know, and I think that the, the, the guys who were interviewing me, it was quite a, a radical music college at the time because it, it concentrated more on modern music rather than it being, you know, like one of these really sort of classical orientated um, uh, music colleges. It was quite uh, groundbreaking stuff at the time. And the, and the, and the, the lecturers that, that heard me put this together were, were really complimentary and said, you know, 
Now, with Asia, the originally guys you separated in '86. What what was? Why did you guys separate? Um, I think that by that time we'd had you know the, the personnel changes that we'd had. Um, you know, John left and, and Greg Lake came in, and we did this big broadcast from uh, MTV uh, in Japan, and then uh, Dave left and John came back in. You know, there was a little bit of friction between. Uh, most of the members in the band. I think one of the problems was that we, we, it was so big, so fast that we were, you know, we we started at the top, and it was, you know, it was really hard to sustain that. And uh, you know, it affects people in different ways. I think it affected me as well. You know, the fact that we were, you know, working in a rehearsal studio, then we went into the main recording studio. And, we didn't know how well that first album was going to do, and then all of a sudden, you know, it exploded on the scene. You know, Asia was the biggest thing since sliced bread. You know, certainly for, for that year in America. So it was, um, it was, it, it, it had, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword in some ways because the success is fantastic, but then it does provide its own problems. And we were, I think, probably caught in the record company who wanted, you know. They wanted our second album to be bigger than the first one, even you know. And I think the expectations suddenly started to go out, get a bit out of hand. And so we went when we went in and did Alpha, and, and that really changed the whole perspective. I mean, I think it's a good album, but you know, it changed the way that people viewed us and people viewed themselves internally. So we had these personnel changes. Then you know, we plowed on and we did the third album, Master, which again, you know, a lot of fans really um, really like that album but you know I think by that time we, you know, we, we lost a lot of steam and um, uh, the record label has started to get a little bit um, you know, they were moving on to other things and so we weren't the priority that we had been uh, two or three years earlier uh, and, and it's all down to the label you know if, if you haven't got that support it's very very hard to you know to keep playing along and so I think we thought we'd take a, you know, we'd take a bit of time out from it, and, and that was 1986. I, I moved in to do more record production and stuff like that. Um, Carl was starting to talk about going back and working with um, with ELP, and, and John was doing his solo stuff in in uh, states. So we, we, it wasn't really a falling out as such. We just we just moved on to different aspects of our careers and. Uh, uh, and that was it, really. And obviously, you know, time carried on, and we we, we came back together again briefly in 1990 with three of us, which was Carl, John, and myself. Um, and we did another album for Geffen uh, called Then and Now. But it was more it was more a retrospective thing rather than it being you know a new thing. And uh, and so that you know we we did we did quite a few gigs around Europe and. Uh, uh, we got Pat Thrall in, the guitarist, and it was it was uh, it was you know it was it was great. But at the same time, you know I think that 
And then, I mean, you, you've gone through different lineups. In Asia, you know, you guys, the original lineup got back uh, a few uh, what, years ago. How did how did that come about? Well, I think by the time we'd all gone off and done various things, I mean, you know, I got off and, and I, I, I carried on Asia to some degree with, uh, with, with John Payne. And, you know, we did a few albums uh, under that banner. John was working on his solo material. visit 
Asia and you know really put it put it back on the map because I, I think that we finished too soon we, 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 we stopped when we should have really carried on maybe but you know it's all hindsight well, that's awesome, Jeff. Uh, you know, I, you've had such a great music uh, history, and, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, the, the album is is great, the Halcyon Hymns. Um, you're on social media. What's what's your Twitter handle? Um, I'm Asia Jeff. A S I A G E O F M. Okay. Well, people, check out Jeff. Uh, check out me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, CooperTalk.net. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you next time. Brilliant.